Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to be with you again today. Thank you for joining with us. And um, if you have your Bible there or a text, um, I would like to turn it to John chapter 18. We're going to be reading some words from that chapter. Uh, John chapter 18, we're going to start reading at verse 12. Just as you're looking that up, um, I want to uh, remind us, uh, remind you that uh, we're doing a series on Countdown to the Cross. We have a few weeks to Easter, and uh, each time that I'm coming down, we're going through the events that led up to the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. And uh, so today we find ourselves um, uh, observing Jesus before the Jewish authorities. So we pick the story up in John chapter 18, verse 12. So this is what the text has to say. Excuse me. <coughs> so the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. First, they led him to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. Now, if you'll move your eye along to verse 19, please. We'll pick the story up. We'll leave Peter's denial to another occasion. Verse 19, the high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I, had to, what I said to them. They know what I said. When Jesus had said these things, one of the officers standing by him struck Jesus with his hand, saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, If what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. The theme of this uh, text this morning is the rejection of Jesus. It's the dominant uh, message that we learn from this passage of Scripture. And I suppose we could be more specific and talk about the Jewish rejection of Jesus. Jesus is on trial. Last time we uh, left Jesus where he was being arrested in the garden. We noticed how he um, willingly laid down his life, how he uh, was uh, compliant and uh, did so because he wanted to in setting down his life and allowing himself to be arrested. And now he's being brought before the Jewish authorities. Actually, there are three occasions or there are three stages to Jesus's ecclesiastical trial, to the trial that he has before the Jewish authorities. First of all, there's this one that's mentioned in John's gospel only, which is the trial before Annas. And then later on on the Thursday evening, there was the trial before Caiaphas in Caiaphas's own home. And then there's the third occasion when early on the Friday morning, the day that Jesus died, he was tried again before the council, the Jewish council, the Sanhedrin, in the council offices or the council hall, which was sometimes called the hall of hewn stone. 
So there are three stages to the Jewish trial of Jesus. And this is where we pick up the story um, at, um, in verse 14 with his trial before Annas. This is the question that I want us to ask. I want to ask and answer this morning. It's the question, how and why was Jesus rejected? How and why was Jesus rejected? And I'm going to suggest three answers to that question. First of all, I want to suggest that Jesus was rejected because people denied him the right to speak into their lives. He denied them the right to be the Son of God. And that's clear from this story that we read this morning. Jesus was often clashing with the Jewish authorities. His clash with them was always to do with his right. And the Jewish authorities would often say, what right have you got to say these things or do these things? And so they would be consistently questioning his right to do things. But there was one action. There was one event that really um, made Jesus stand out as someone who would be questioned about whether he had the right to do such and such. And that event was the cleansing of the temple. You know the story, I'm sure, as well as I do, that um, Jesus would have gone into the temple area and uh, into the court of the Gentiles. And when he went in there, he found stall holders. People had come into the temple precincts and had set up stalls. Some of them were changing money because only a certain type of money was uh, um, uh, um, to be used within the temple. Some of them were selling sacrifices, animals and birds. And that was within the court of the Gentiles. And when Jesus saw this, you'll recall how he overturned the tables of the money changers, how he drove the uh, traders out of the temple precincts and uh, drove them out. And as he drove them out, he said, my father's house should be a house of prayer. But you have made it a den of thieves. You'll recall that story, I'm sure, as well as I do. That action in itself made the Jewish authorities ask the question, what right does he have to do this? Who gave him the right? So when we come to think about the question, how and why was Jesus um, uh, rejected? We're coming to the, to the point where we're saying people who denied Jesus the right to speak into their lives, that's who rejected Jesus. It's interesting to note that the stallholders belonged to Annas. When Jesus drove the stallholders out of the temple precinct, he was immediately, directly, and personally challenging Annas, who had been high priest from AD 6 to AD 15, from when Jesus was an 11-year-old boy until he was about 20 years old. And it was Annas who granted permission to the stallholders to go into the temple precincts and to sell their animals. And it was Annas who was creaming off the profits from the sale of all of those animals and birds and the money changers. He was creaming that off. And, and so Annas, we find Annas to be someone who is wealthy in the extreme. He has so much wealth. Why? By extortion and by racketeering. Those would be the phrases that would be used in a modern context. Racketeering is where you gain money by, uh, uh, by illegal pro uh, pro uh, activities. 
So Annas was the one who had set up these stallholders. He was creaming off the prophets for himself when he was high priest. And that was why when Jesus cleansed the temple, he was challenging the authority of Annas himself. We understand now why in John's gospel, in verse 13, we read these simple words. First, they led him to Annas. You see, what's going on here is that there's a score to be settled. In Annas's mind, there's a score to be settled. There's something to be, uh, to be sorted out here. Annas, it would appear, was like a kind of godfather in Jewish circles. It was, he was a kind of, he was the power behind the throne. Even though he wasn't high priest at this moment of time, Annas had five sons, one grandson, and one son-in-law who served in the role of high priest. So even though he wasn't the actual high priest, there is no doubt in anybody's mind that Annas is the power behind, behind the Sanhedrin. He's a man of tremendous wealth and of tremendous power and influence. And really, he's the one that calls the shots. That's why when we read that Jesus was, that's why we read that Jesus was first taken to Annas. Annas has a score to settle with Jesus. Here's a second answer to that question. Jesus was rejected because people ignored God's law. People ignored God's law. Well, let me explain. There's a Jewish document called the Mishnah. And in the Mishnah, it's like a Jewish constitution. It's about how all of the procedures and all of the protocols that should be followed by the Jewish Sanhedrin, that's where it's to be found. So in, the Mishnah, in this Jewish document, which was an idealistic document, in this document we read of all of the ways that the Sanhedrin should have conducted their business. It's a very interesting read. When you read what should have taken place, and you compare that with the gospel records of what actually took place, we find that there are loopholes at every turn. And that's what we learned from the Mishnah. And the Mishnah was regarded as the, the, the way that God's law was to be implemented in Judaism. Now, it's interesting that one of the main points about the, the Mishnah makes is that at no point during a trial should a prisoner be questioned directly. At no point during a trial was the prisoner to be asked questions directly. But if we look closely at our text, particularly in verse 18, we read the, the, the sentence, then the high priest, uh, sorry, the high priest then questioned Jesus. Well, alarm bells should be going off in our minds now. Wait a minute. This is not proper protocol. This shouldn't be happening. No one has the right to question the prisoner. And that's why Jesus reacts in the way that he does and how we have this little interlude from verse 20 to verse 22, I think, or verse 21, where we have this little interlude of how Jesus responds to the high priest asking him questions. If I be, may be allowed to paraphrase, if I can put it into my own words, what Jesus says is, wait a minute. Why are you asking me these questions? I've taught publicly. I've been in the public uh, uh, sphere. Uh, I have hidden nothing. I've taught in the temples and in, uh, in the temple and in the synagogues. 
Ask for the witnesses. Ask those who listen to me. Go and speak to them. There should be plenty of them. If you're going to put me in trial, let's do it right. You shouldn't be asking me questions. You should be looking for witnesses, which is what the Mishnah had said. Well, as Jesus challenges Annas yet again, and the high priest Caiaphas yet again as he challenges them by questioning the way that they're going about this uh, procedure, one of the bystanders strikes Jesus, presumably on the face, to which Jesus doesn't back down. He holds his course, and he turns to the person who struck him, and he says, if I have said something wrong, then tell me where I got it wrong. But if I haven't, why have you hit me? Why did you strike me? Now, the point that we're making here is simply this. Jesus was rejected by people who who ignored, who chose to ignore what God's law said. Jesus was uh, rejected by people who denied him the right to speak into their lives and by those who rejected God's law. The third thing that I want to suggest, answer to that question, is, the, is the, that some people, re- or the, he, Jesus was rejected because people acted expediently. Now, that's a, a, an unusual word. I want you to find it in verse 14 of John 18. It was, it was Caiaphas who advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. To behave expediently or to act expediently means to act to one's own advantage. To do what suits me. To do what uh, helps me. It's nothing to do with fairness. It's nothing to do with justice. To act expediently is to act selfishly. And do whatever is advantageous to the individual. And that's why uh, the text tells us that these uh, Jewish authorities were acting what was advantageous to them. Not with regard to what was lawful, fair, or just. People who act expediently. Now in chapter 18, uh, John tells us nothing more about Caiaphas. And the reason, part of the reason for that is because he's already explained what Caiaphas believed back in chapter 11. So if you have your Bibles there, if you're looking at the text, turn with me back to chapter 11. In John chapter 11, we have the story of the death and resurrection of Lazarus. And after the resurrection of Lazarus, some people went to the Jewish authorities and told them, what Jesus had said and what he had done. They told him about the resurrection of Lazarus. And in verses 49 to 45 to 53, we have the discussion amongst the Jewish leaders about uh, what they should do with Jesus. Listen to what it says in verse 49 of John 11. Caiaphas is speaking, but one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all. Nor do you understand that it is better for you. That's the expedient point. It is better for you that one man should die for the people. Not that the whole nation should perish. Look at verse 51. He did not say this of his own accord. But being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation. You see, Jesus is being rejected. How and why was he rejected? He was rejected by people who acted expediently. 
Well, let's just stop, stop and reflect for just a moment. We're asking ourselves the question, how and why was Jesus rejected? We are discovering that the reasons why Jesus was re re rejected then are just the same kind of things that operate when people reject Jesus now. Because even today, like Annas and Caiaphas, there are many people who would reject Jesus. They reject his right to speak into their lives. They want to live their own life. They want to do things the way they want to do. They have no, they have no uh, um, uh, compelling or they have no sense of urgency to listen to what Jesus has to say at all. Similarly, there are many people today who dismiss the word of God. As we would say here in the text, the law of God. They set the Bible to one side. The Bible is irrelevant. The Bible is, is a fundamentalist. It is narrow-minded. The Bible is intolerant. Lots of people hold those views about where we are coming from as Christians and believers regarding the text of Scripture. They are dismissive of it. They set that to one side. And in a similar kind of way, we live in, a, in, in an age when people are able to dismiss Jesus and the things of God. Why? Because they see no advantage to them. They have no sense of need. They have no sense of desire to be in right relationship with, with Jesus or with God. Because they see that he can offer them, or they feel that he can offer them nothing in comparison. So these are the reasons how and why Jesus is rejected. My point to you today is that when we come to a point when we believe what Jesus did for us, when we come sometimes to points in our lives, we discover that we do need him, that we do want him. And rather than reject him, I'm suggesting to you that at points like that, we want to receive him. And there are points in many of our lives, even though it's true that in general society may reject Jesus, there are points in many people's lives where they come to a point where they say, you know what, I need him. Many years ago, I, I uh, uh, knelt or sat uh, in, by a hospital bed um, with a friend of mine who was nearing the end of his life. He had struggled with uh, matters to do with addiction, with alcohol addiction in particular. And um, it was only a matter of time before he left this world. And I sat beside him and um, I whispered into his ear uh, and mentioning his name, I shan't today, but I mentioned in his name and I asked him this question. Have you made your peace with God? Is that you, Mike? He said without opening his eyes. I said it is. He said, it's good to hear your voice. I said, I'll ask you again, have you made your peace with God? Yes, I have, he said. Would you like me to pray with you to that end? Yes, please, he said. This was a man who lived his life not disrespecting God or not being a blasphemer or anything like that, but he'd lived his life independent of God. But there came to that moment in his life when he knew, when he knew he needed him. My family came to that point in our lives when, like him, a family ravaged by alcohol addiction, when we came to a point of brokenness, where we came to a point of hopelessness and helplessness, 
when we came to a point in our lives where we didn't know where to turn or what to do. And when we came to that point, guess what? When we came to that point, the God that we had spurned, the Christ that we had rejected over so many years, the God that we thought had nothing to offer us in our life, suddenly he became the most important person to us. And the reason that was the case was because in our brokenness, in our devastation, in our relational breakdown, in all that was going wrong in our lives, we saw God could give us hope. We saw that he could help us. Rather than someone that we wanted to reject, he was someone that we wanted to receive. Oh, how the tables had turned when we came to that point in our lives. There are myriad of people who reject Christ, who dismiss him as irrelevant and as someone intolerant. But there are equally myriads of people who know they need him, who know they want him, and who want to receive him, not to reject him. There are myriads of people, and it's to people like that I speak this morning. I'm not speaking to those who have rejected Christ. I'm speaking to you if you think that you need him. If you've come to a point in your life where you just say to yourself, I can't go on. I need God to come and help me. God, will you help me? And you cry out to him. When you come to that point in your life, then you cease to reject and begin to receive. As I bring this message into land, as it were, I want to draw your attention to one phrase that's mentioned in John chapter 11. It's mentioned in chapter 14, uh, sorry, in chapter 18, verse 14. And then the, the uh, explanation of it is mentioned in John chapter uh, 11. Allow me to read to you some, verse, uh, some words from verse 14. In verse 14 of 18, we see, it was Caiaphas who advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. Do you see that phrase? One man should die for the people. Now, if you turn back to chapter 11 again in the passage that we looked at, we'll see how he, he spoke about that. Look at what he says in verse 50 and 51. Uh, it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. He did not. Now, look at this. This is verse 51. Caiaphas did not say this of his own accord. Do you see that little statement? What does that mean? What is the text explaining? Well, I'll tell you what it means. What that means is, what John is saying is, Caiaphas didn't know what he was saying, but God was prompting him. He didn't say it of his own accord because he was being prompted by God to make the prophecy, one man shall die for the people. And that's why it is a, 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 a huge irony that Caiaphas, who was rejecting Jesus, should actually be used by God to shed this beam of light into these dark hours of Jesus' life. The beam of light that Jesus would die for the people. And it was a prophecy that God the Holy Spirit put even into the dark heart of Caiaphas in that moment of time. 
You see, when, Jesus, when Caiaphas spoke of one man dying for the people, he was speaking or predicting of the sacrifice of Jesus. Get that word. It's the word sacrifice. It's not a word we're very f- familiar with today, nor does our religion um, uh, practice it literally today. But in theological terms, sacrifice is a key point in the Christian message. Sacrifice Uh, is there because of our need. You see, I've already talked about people who are coming to a place of brokenness in their lives, a place of need. And ultimately, every human being stands before God in need. We stand condemned. We stand guilty. We stand before God without anything to offer on our own behalf for, for an excuse for how we are. It begins, sacrifice begins with our need, but then sacrifice uh, proceeds with our substitute. You see, all the guilt and the brokenness and the confusion and the hurt, all of the guilt that should have been laid upon our shoulders, God took and effectively put it onto Jesus' shoulders, and he was our substitute. He took our place. He died for the people so that all of the stuff that should be leveled upon us was leveled upon him. It was transferred onto the shoulders of Jesus. And that's why this sacrifice of Jesus is our hope. As we put our trust in him, as we buy into that, if I may use that phrase, as we buy into, by faith, as we buy into that, action that Jesus took so many years ago. As we by faith participate in that and enter into that, we benefit from the fact that one man died for the people. This prophecy was like a one, the beam of light from one single small star in the midst of a very black, dark night. That's how it came across. So I'm asking you today, I'm encouraging you today, inviting you today, rather than reject Jesus to receive him, rather than reject him to receive him. And maybe you've come to a point in your life where where you're broken and you need to receive him. Boy, I remember the night that I received him. I was a teenager just before I turned 18 years of age and I'd been to church that evening I wasn't a Christian. I had made a profession of faith as a child, but it really didn't mean very much because I didn't understand very much. I just responded to Jesus by putting my hand up in a children's meeting. It was a very simple thing, but it really wasn't sufficient for me as a young adult to hold on to. I needed to recommit my life. I needed to be serious about my commitment to Jesus. And so after church and after the youth fellowship, I went home. And uh, before going to bed, I spoke to my brother Arthur. And then I I knelt down uh, beside my bed and I prayed a very simple prayer to receive Christ. Not to reject him, but to receive him. The prayer went something like, Lord, if you're really there. Because I had some of my doubts. Lord, if you're really there, forgive me for my sins. Cleanse me from all my unrighteousness. Jesus, come into my life. Come into my heart just now. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you know what I did after I prayed that prayer? It sounds silly now. 
I got up from, uh, from my bedside and I went to my bedside locker and I looked in the mirror to see if I looked any different. Isn't that, isn't that stupid? But that's what I did. Do you know why I did that? Because Jesus changed my brother so dramatically that I expected to look different. That's, how I, that's what I expected. Do you know what? I was disappointed when I didn't look any different. But within 24 hours, I knew God had done something in my life. And within 48 hours, I had confessed that Jesus was my Savior to my friends at school. In fact, the Bible tells us that we should believe in our hearts and confess with our lips that Jesus is Lord and we should be saved. And that's what happened to me. And within a few days, I knew, I knew Christ was in my life. I knew it as I know it today. Don't reject Jesus. He has a right to your life. He is the creator of this world. He is almighty God. He has the right. Don't reject him. His law, his word is true. It's the truth. Everything else is a lie, but his Bible is the truth. It will keep you on the right and on the straight and narrow. It will keep you right. Accept it and don't live outside it. Live within it. Live under it. And don't act selfishly to your own advantage. Consider handing your life lock stock and barrel over to Jesus so that you live for him. Well, let's uh, pray together as I invite the band to come to the front again as we consider our theme this morning, the rejection of Jesus. Let's pray together. Loving Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for all that you have done for us. Holy Spirit, we want to thank you for what you do in our hearts in the way that you come to work within us, drawing us to the Father. But this morning, Lord Jesus, especially to you, we offer our thanks that in the darkest of hours in your life, in your experience, when your own people rejected you and uh, plotted to do away with you, hoping to make an end of you, that in the midst of all of that, you remain faithful. Thank you that you were willing to be a sacrifice, our sacrifice, the sacrifice offered to God on our behalf, whereby all our sin and guilt and the consequences of our brokenness were transferred to you as you shed your blood on our behalf. Jesus, we want to thank you today. And we don't want to reject you, Lord. We want to receive you. We want to receive you into our hearts. We want to receive you into our lives. And we want to receive you into our futures. So that from this moment onwards, we may live for you and for you alone. Cleansed, righteous, holy, acceptable to you. Reconciled to the Father and able to walk in harmony and in blessing before you the rest of our days. We commit ourselves to that in Jesus' name. Amen.